And as we begin this year, we want to begin to preach on the Gospel of Mark. Why preaching about Jesus in the Gospel of Mark? It's very simple. Because we are followers of Jesus Christ. See, some of you love Paul's theology and others like John's message of love. And still others love the Apostle Peter's message of hope in the midst of suffering. And others, uh, we like the teaching of Hebrews on the supremacy of Christ. And some others, we like James' message on being the doers of God's word. But we actually don't preach that much about Jesus. We may refer to Jesus when we preach the epistles. We may refer to Jesus when we preach the narratives. But we don't often preach on the gospel, focusing on Jesus, uh, on Jesus' life. You know, um, we, we focus on his birth at Christmas. We focus on his suffering on Good Friday. We focus on his resurrection on Easter Sunday. But that's about it. And we believe that as pastoral staff this year, we must preach Jesus. We want you to meet Jesus again. Because when you, once you meet Jesus, you will never be the same again. See, Jesus is real. Jesus is controversial. Jesus challenged the status quo. He challenges the bad traditions. He puts the law of Moses in the rightful place. Not just legalistic, but from the heart as well. He stands up against corrupt political authority and legalistic religious authority. He was not afraid. He will not back down. But he loves people deeply. He says, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. He nurtures his disciples and gave them chance after chance after chance. He heals the sick. He performs miracles. He touched the untouchables. He dines with the lower class. Jesus Christ is unique and the only one. And that's why we need to preach Jesus. In the course of the year, as we begin to preach Jesus through different chapters and different passages, you may feel uneasy, let me warn you. And you will feel uncomfortable. Because Jesus is so authentic, it cuts through the heart, it cuts into our soul. And you may scorn, but you know what? You will also be moved, you will be touched, you'll be inspired, you'll be stretched, you'll be humble, and you want to be like Jesus. And this Gospel of Mark wants you to focus on Jesus as the Son of God. He performs miracles, he heals the sick, and he also is the servant of God. He serves and sacrifices for us all the way to the cross to die on our behalf. So the key verse in the Gospel of Mark is Mark 10.45 that says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, John Mark, his name, is an associate of the Apostle Peter. So probably a lot of the happenings that he recorded in the Gospel of Mark uh, came from the source of the Apostle Peter, who have witnessed that personally and shared it with Mark. And the Spirit moved Mark to write this down for the Roman Gentile Gentile Christians. And the, the Gospel of Mark is like an action movie. It moves fast. See, Mark is not interested in the details. He moves from event to event, from happening to happenings. He can't wait to present the Savior to you. He wants you to connect with him. Come and meet Jesus. 
And that's why today we will also want to invite you to come and meet Jesus personally. So turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, as we begin the preaching of the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. As you open your Bible, as you open your devices, let me read to you, because there are so many versions, let me just read to you in ESV. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of his sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, in the first verse, it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And many commentators have said this is a title of the gospel of Mark because there's no verb. It's not a sentence. It is like a title. And the title is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It tells us that Jesus is the beginning. And that's the first point I want to share with you. Jesus is the beginning. And three things are being shared there. First, Jesus is the beginning. Like Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That begins the human life. That begins the universe. And now, in Mark 1.1, it says it is the new beginning in which God reveals the good news of Jesus Christ. And everything begins with God. He gives us new beginning through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. He gives us the beginning. And secondly, he says, Jesus is the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is God has provided salvation for all men through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The good news is found in Jesus Christ. And there's no gospel Outside of Jesus Christ. There's no gospel without Jesus Christ. Because the gospel deals with the fundamentals, issues of life. It deals with our relationship with God. How do you relate to God? It deals with sin that has inflicted human beings since the beginning of time. How do you deal with sin? How do you deal with guilt? It deals with eternity. When I passed on, where would I be? Is there life after this life? How does it look like? What would that be? How do I prepare myself for eternity? See, Jesus is the gospel. The gospel deals with all that issue. And thirdly, it talks about Jesus is the Son of God. Basically, it reminds us that whatever that you are reading now, whatever that I'm preaching right now from the Gospel of Mark, that it is the divine source. The gospel has the divine source. It comes from God. Because Jesus is God, we preach about Jesus. And this is the word of God that we are talking about. Jesus is the beginning. And with that teaching, he quickly, that's the style of Mark, he moves fast. Quickly, he moves into verses 2 and 3. 
where Jesus is being prophesied. In verses 2 and 3, it deals with three things. One, the prophecy. The prophecy uh, says in verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And then he quotes from two sources. Okay, Behold, I send my messenger before your, your face, who will prepare the way. That's from Malachi, the last book of the Bible. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And then he quotes now from Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3, in, in the verse 3 here. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So actually, he quoted from two sources, Malachi and Isaiah, but he only attributed that to, uh, to Isaiah. Why? Because Mark sees the prophecy in Malachi as the same one in Isaiah. He sees the one from Malachi as getting the inspiration from Isaiah. They are two, but they are the same. So he only attributes that to Isaiah. Not only the prophecy he talks about, but he talks about wilderness, because the voice of the one crying will be in the wilderness. Why would that be in the wilderness? Why don't you choose a busy crossroad, a, a bigger cosmopolitan where more people will hear of the message? Why? Well, it's symbolic. Because when John the Baptist began to invite people to come and hear the, the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins, he wants them to see the wilderness condition as a reflection of their heart issue. They are desolate. They are dry. They are barren. They are bored, just like the wilderness. Just by being there with John the Baptist, will already remind you, you need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he talks about the prophecy, he talks about the wilderness, but he also talks about the preparation. He says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Before the Messiah comes to the scene, before the Savior comes to the scene, there is someone, the forerunner, the messenger, preparing the hearts of the people. How does he prepare that? Well, in the next verse, he will begin to talk about that by repenting and to receive the forgiveness of sins. So very quickly, we move from Jesus is the beginning to Jesus is prophesied and finally to Jesus is being introduced, which is the bulk of the passage here in verses 4 to 8. In verse 4 says, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And that's how he prepared the way. By preaching the gospel. See, repentance for the forgiveness of sin, that's the gospel. By willing to turn away from your old way, turn around and receive the forgiveness of sins through the redemption of Jesus Christ by substitutionary death on the cross for us. The forgiveness of sins and repentance go hand in hand. How do you prepare the way? In Isaiah 40, continue to say, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places, plain. That's how you prepare the way. 
So like a bulldozer, clearing the debris for the construction of the highway, John the Baptist was preparing the way for the Messiah to come into the scene and to proclaim that he is the Messiah, he's the Savior of the world. And that's what repentance does to you. You know, it brings down all the high peaks of pride that we stand on and refuse to admit that we are wrong and bring us low to repent. It takes the depressed areas of our lives when we beat and torture and punish ourselves and lift them up to have hope in the gospel. That's repentance. See, repentance also takes the crooked places where we have lied and deceived and straightened them out and it makes the rough places plain. That's repentance and that's where God will be there to meet us with the forgiveness of sin. That's John's message, to prepare the way of the Lord through repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And what about the audience? Verse 5. And all the countries of Judea And all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. That's amazing. If there's one word that we can describe John's audience is responsive. A very responsive audience. They were all going out to him. All Judea and all Jerusalem. You know how how, how tough that, that, that would be if you understand the geography? It's about 20 miles away. To walk, that's where most people do during those days, to walk from Jerusalem to the River Jordan, it's about 20 miles. It takes a long while. And that walk is from an elevation of about 4,000 feet to the level near River Jordan. And then you go back uphill 4,000 feet back to Jerusalem. That's how tough it is to actually walk from Jerusalem To the river Jordan. But the Bible says they all went. All Judea and all Jerusalem, a lot of people just flooded to the river Jordan to receive that message. That shows the sinful lifestyle was widespread. That shows there was little hope. There was little freedom. There was little forgiveness that people can receive in those days. But there was a whole lot of sins and guilt and fear. And to think about this, to travel that long distance, to do what? To listen to a concert, maybe. To go to an, a great event, a camping, maybe. But to go and confess your sins? Why are you doing that? We want to hide our sins. We want to tell people. Maybe just uh, dearest friends in confidentiality. Maybe you reveal that to your psychologist who has to observe the confidentiality. But to confess your sin in public, in that place, that's a lot of drive for any individual to be willing to go that far, right? Through long journeys in wilderness and confess your sins. Why are you doing that? You know what? The sinful nature the guilt that inflicts us and the fear that paralyzes us was so powerful that people are willing to go that far to find peace, to find forgiveness, 
to find restoration. You know, sin is basically self-centeredness, where others are to serve us to fulfill our needs and our desires. So we do bad things to other people, and we dishonor the God of Creator. And when you committed sin, naturally you feel guilty. What is guilt? Guilty is dislike of yourself. You don't like yourself. We feel bad. You hate yourself for doing something that you shouldn't be doing. Even though you may not admit it, you may not confess it, but deep in your heart you know it's not right. You shouldn't be doing that. You feel guilty. And you know what? Most people deal with guilt. You numb your feelings. You numb your feelings with chemicals. You numb your feelings with all kinds of things and activities. You have this inner turmoil that torments you night after night after night. It's painful. It's worse than physical torture. And then with the guilt, it brings fear. What is fear? Fear is basically self-distrust. You don't trust yourself. You can't control You are fearful of exposure, that whatever you have done in the dark, hiding, may be exposed. So you always live in fear and wondering when, when, when. So what do you do? When you are fearful of exposure, you escape, you run away. Just like Adam and Eve, after they have some, something against God, and they, they hide, they, they hide behind a tree. They, they don't want to see God. It was too confrontational for them. And, and John preached that the coming of the Messiah, he will offer those who repent the forgiveness of sin. And they travel in flocks, in droves. They come. All Judea and all Jerusalem, they come to hear the gospel. They come to hear the forgiveness of sins. They need forgiveness of sin. John's audience was so responsive because John's message was so relevant, so needed to them. And I believe to our generation as well. So we talk about John's message and John's audience now in verse 6. He talks about John's image. Verse 6 says, Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. You know, message is important. Gospel is important. Why talk about his attire? Why, why talk about John's image? The food that he ate, the clothing that he wore? I think it's for two reasons. One, because he is the Elijah type of prophet. Because that's the way Elijah, the prophet, wore. So the prophet says, in the coming of the Messiah, there will be a Elijah-like prophet. And that's John the Baptist. That's how he wore, just like Elijah. I think there's a second reason. The second reason is being that, that it requires a break from the institution and culture of Jerusalem. See, in Jerusalem, you have this priest in the temple. He has this priestly attire. He looks very proper, very professional. But when the forerunner of the Messiah is being presented, he comes to the stage, he's so different. He's so simple. He's not like the priest with garments and everything that is so presentable. He's someone in the wilderness eating honey and, and, and wild honey and locust and wearing something like camel's hair. Very simple lifestyle. He is different. And you need a different kind of salvation. You need a different kind of savior. Not the kind in the temple. 
but John the Baptist will introduce someone to you so that you can truly receive the salvation. And that's why he talks about John's image. And then finally, in verses 7 and 8, uh, John's introduction of the Messiah. Verse 7 says, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untied. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If there's one word that can describe uh, John's introduction is greater. Jesus is greater. He must increase and I must decrease. You know, John the Baptist was extremely successful in his ministry. How many of you can preach like John and teach like John and lead small groups like John that draws all Judea and all Jerusalem to him and being baptized in River Jordan? Not many of us can do that. You know, actually, he looks more like the Messiah. He looks more like the Messiah than he's a forerunner of the Messiah. He was so successful. But you know what? John knows his rightful place. He elevates the Messiah above himself. His baptism of repentance is incomplete. It only serves as a preparation for the Messiah who will come and die for the sins of the world to redeem us. The water in River Jordan will not wash away your sins. It only prepares you in repentance, in your willingness to wait for the Messiah to come. And only the blood shed on the cross, the life given to us in substitution of us who are sinners, Jesus Christ our Lord, in completion of his redemption, is able to save and cleanse us and forgive our sins. And John knows that. John knows that he can only point people to Jesus and people coming to Jesus where Jesus can forgive their sins and build a relationship with them and to journey together as disciples of Jesus Christ. So he says, I baptize you with water. Only symbolizes forgiveness, but Jesus will forgive you because he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will convict you of our sins, of your of righteousness, so that you're willing to surrender yourselves to him. And this Holy Spirit will come into your life and lead you to walk with Jesus and be disciples of Jesus Christ all the days of your life. We can only point people to Jesus and only Jesus can transform lives. We can only preach to you about Jesus and point you to Jesus and Jesus will transform your lives. We can't transform your lives. You know, it's interesting that the Messiah whom John the Baptist says he's not worthy to even untie his sandal. He comes as a servant. John the Baptist will stoop down as a servant and expect the Messiah to be mighty, but the mighty Messiah comes as a servant. He comes to serve. He comes to die on the cross on our behalf. And John the Baptist really redefines power. What is power? Power is someone who serves. Someone who serves has power. Like Jesus Christ. He came to serve, to serve and not to be served and die a ransom for many. 
And that's John's introduction because Jesus is greater. You know, the message that I want to take home today is come and meet Jesus and you will want to follow him. Don't come and meet me. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a speaker. I preach about Jesus. I talk about Jesus. Come and meet Jesus. You may not like me. You know, I speak with accents. I have wrong grammars. and I, I don't have your life experiences. I use long illustrations. It's okay. You may even like, not like the church. The church has issues. We have our issues. We know that. Whenever you have people gathering together, we have issues to deal with. We're not perfect. We willingly, openly submit to you. We are not perfect. But don't be offended by the church and don't be offended by me or any individuals because we are incomplete. But we just want to point you to Jesus. Because Jesus is perfect. Jesus is perfect man. He's perfect God. Okay. Don't let my imperfection and our church imperfection stop you from coming to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Because he invites you to come and meet him and grow together with him. And once you meet Jesus, you will want to follow him. Because he's a perfect God and he's a perfect man. As I conclude this message, I just want to share a few thoughts with you as we apply that into our lives. First of all, we need repentance. You remember that song? Every, every, everybody needs compassion. We need, we need repentance. You know, repentance and compassion is missing from our worship experience today. It used to be a fundamental part of worship experience there. There's always an element of a time where we reflect, where we confess before God, and the forgiveness of sin is being proclaimed from 1 John chapter 1, verse 12, that if we confess our sins, God is righteous, and He will forgive us of our sins. It is missing. Our sin is missing in many, many parts of our vocabularies and our lives. What happened? What happened? Because if there's no sin, there's no need for a Savior. If, if there's no need for repentance, why do we need Jesus? Let's go home. We are okay. You are okay. I'm okay. We need Jesus because we're not okay. That's why we need Jesus. But what happened to sin? What happened to repentance? What happened to confession? You know what happened? Because we dilute it. Because we normalize it. Everybody is doing that. It's not sin. It's pretty normal. We generalize it. It's too, too awkward to talk about those things. Let's talk about something more pleasant. We generalize it. We normalize it. We dilute it. We legalize it. We legitimize it. Hey, it's not against the law. So what's wrong with that? And we rationalize it. Oh, it's, you know, DNA. It's, it's your cell, your brain cell. It's this part, it's that part that causes you doing that. Uh, it's your psychology, it's your emotions. You know, it's not sin. We rationalize it. And that's why sin disappears from our vocabulary, from our life experiences, even from our worship. Because we don't have even a part of confession. Now, I'm not saying that you didn't confess your sins. I'm not saying that you didn't confess your sins even before worship, during communion. You did that, I'm sure. But the fact that it's not even a part of the worship experience tells you something. That we feel awkward. We don't feel maybe we shouldn't do that. It's so private. Just do it yourself. Do you have to tell it? It's awkward, right? 
But if there was no sin, why do we need Jesus? Let's put Jesus back to where he belongs, to heaven. He lives his life, we live our life. Let's be happy. And you and I know better from the teaching of God's word that we do need repentance. We do. We are not perfect yet. We're still growing as disciples of Jesus Christ. We're still growing. Secondly, I want to share with you that we need Jesus. Come and meet Jesus. All the preachers here, we are imperfect. Certain uh, style of preaching, you like a certain style, you like a certain preacher. It's okay, we all know that. Okay, But don't be offended by this preacher or don't be offended by that preacher. Come and meet Jesus. Our desire is that we preach Jesus as truthfully as we know how to, as closely to the Bible as we know how to, and we hope that you will encounter Jesus. Come and meet Jesus and grow and walk with Him. Don't walk with me. You walk with me, sometimes I'm okay, other times I'm not okay. Sometimes I go the wrong way. I have to confess too and come back to the right way. But come and meet Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Get to know Jesus. And we hope that through the preaching of the Gospel of Mark, you will know Jesus. You will meet Jesus personally. And finally, let me also encourage you to point others to Jesus. If you point up to church, within three months, six months, they know all the issues of the church. If you point up to a small group, a certain individual, before long, everybody knows that, oh, we have issues. You're imperfect. You have your strength, you have your weaknesses. Right? So sooner or later, you can pick on that, you can pick on that, you can pick on that, and say, ah, it's not, not good. It's not for me. But come and meet Jesus. Because your greatest fulfillment, your greatest desire can only be fulfilled, can be met in Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can do that. So come and meet Jesus. Come and point other people to Jesus because we are witnesses. We have experienced Jesus firsthand. We're going to point others to Jesus. And even as we are embarking together on the journey of being a vibrant church that reproduces vibrant churches locally and globally, how do you be vibrant? How do you be alive? How do you come alive? You come alive because you get to know Jesus deeper, because you love Jesus deeper, because you serve Jesus more joyfully, because you follow Jesus more closely. That's the only way. You must fall in love with Jesus again. So come and meet Jesus. Let's pray. So Lord, I pray that our whole congregation to grow together as a vibrant church must fall in love with Jesus. And I pray for the whole congregation to journey together this year as we come and meet Jesus, that we can truly be inspired, be stretched, be humbled, and be on fire for Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.